Tired of the negative news and flash over substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening, and welcome to Today with Dr. Wendy. We have some big news for you tonight. My co-host Larry Dersham and I are going to break it down as best we can because we are in breaking news mode. There is something new every hour. And of course, I'm talking about the first family, the president and Melania Trump, both testing positive for COVID-19. So let us first extend our prayers to the family. And even young Baron, who's temporarily, I hope, without his parents. We hope them a, a speedy recovery and we, we wish them in prayer and we just really hope that it all passes and that their symptoms are mild as they currently appear to be for both of them. And that's one of the things we're gonna be talking about. So we all received the news very late Thursday night. We remember it very vividly because it was a surprise. Why? Probably because actually, despite what many people are saying, the first family had been taking a variety of precautions. The president, at least according to the reports, had been social distancing, had been wearing a mask. Remember, he even showed it off at the debate. And everyone around them had been tested constantly. Somehow, it's a very contagious virus, somehow they ended up being infected. Not just them. We're now learning that it was actually a number of people that were close to the first family that unfortunately has also now tested positive. Now, we also know that the day after the news that the president was positive, that he was taken yesterday to Walter Reed Military Hospital. Why? Because he's the president of the United States. That's why. They did it in an abundance of caution to make sure that he has all of the great medical care they can give him. It is true that due to his age and his weight, that he is high risk in some sense, but he also has the highest quality medical care. And he does not have the types of pre-existing conditions that have been known to complicate this diagnosis. And that's all it is right now. It's a diagnosis, not a prognosis. Prognosis, we're actually getting in real time through the president's tweets, through the doctors coming out and speaking to reporters. We're hearing a lot about that in real time. So we do know a couple of things. First of all, this was not the October surprise that we expected. This is something nobody saw coming. We know that Melania's symptoms are mild. We know that the president is currently in good spirits. And we also know that whether or not he's high risk because of his age, good spirits is a recipe for recovery. We know also that he's been tweeting and it seems like that's actually true. We know the tweets are from him because we know the way he tweets. So this is a recipe for recovery. Now, one of the other things that we know and we often tend to forget is the president is not the first world leader to test positive for COVID-19. Remember Prime Minister Boris Johnson? He actually was hospitalized very early on. We know that Prince Charles came down with the virus. We also know that the leaders of Brazil, Honduras, Guatemala, Bolivia, they all tested positive and pulled through as well. You know, we tend to focus on lives lost without remembering that the vast majority of people that are diagnosed with COVID-19 pull through just fine. 
And given the health of the president, we expect that he will be in that category just in time for the election. Now, what's another interesting facet of this is, will it also be, as luck would have it, just in time for the second debate on October 15th, which would be exactly two weeks from the day of the diagnosis. So whether that first, that second debate occurs in person or whether it occurs virtually or whether it's put off a day or put off a week, whatever it is, he may be ready to go right about then. And remember also that once he's discharged from the hospital, we expect him to be making headlines from home in kind of a strange twist of fate. He will now be broadcasting from a bunker, not from a basement. And Joe Biden apparently is out on the campaign trail. We want to make sure Joe Biden doesn't get COVID-19 either. Nobody wishes this on anyone. And it's also a strange irony that everyone is sympathetic for the president right about now. Even his detractors, nobody wants to see the leader of the country sick. Everybody feels for him. But when it comes time to look as to, well, how did he come up with this? How did he contract this? And how did that all happen? Because we do care about transmission. We want to make sure that it's not transmitted. We're now pushing back the timeline. And some people are talking about the reality that he might actually have had it during the last debate, which might explain why he appeared a bit tired and irritable on stage. Now, Larry, I know that there were some topics that were brought up at the debate that maybe weren't handled in the way we wish they were. But what are a couple of those topics that we're now still talking about and maybe viewing in a different light uh, now that we know a little bit about the prognosis um, and the diagnosis and the timeline? Right. What uh, they brought up, and it was actually uh, Chris Wallace that brought it up, what really happened at Char- in Charlottesville, Virginia, regarding that statue, uh, the Robert E. Lee statue that was uh, removed and there were protests on both sides? Well, uh, it, it's really interesting. So how this all came up, this came up in last Tuesday's debate. And Chris Wallace said to uh, presidential uh, candidate Biden, Joe Biden, basically this. You've said that the President Trump's response to the violence in Charlottesville three years ago in 2017, when he talked about very fine people on both sides, was what directly led you, uh, Mr. Biden, to launch this run for president. That's what Wallace said. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, why should voters uh, trust you rather than your opponent to deal with race issues facing the country over the next four years? Well, here's Biden's response that night, last Tuesday. Close your eyes. Try to remember the people coming out of the field with torches, their veins bulging, spewing (laughs) anti-Semitic bile, accompanied by the Ku Klux Klan. A A young woman got killed and they asked the president what he thought, and he said they're very fine people on both sides. No president should ever say anything like that. Uh, and then uh, then Chris Wallace didn't respond at all to that accusation. So here, here, here's what really happened. And this is important, not only because they brought this up last Tuesday. I actually have friends uh, that still believe that President Trump— uh, feels that way about uh, neo-Nazis, that he's totally against neo-Nazis. When politicians lie, we know that. But it's the job of us as informed citizens to figure out the truth. But what do we you know, do when journalists and the media come in? What do we do? We're supposed to, they're supposed to help us for, uh, ferret out the truth. But when they lie, that's journalistic malfeasance. 
And, yeah, uh, you know, I think part of the problem with this whole white supremacy issue is the following. It is true that the president gets distracted when he's talking and some journalists don't follow up on the questions. If they did, as they do after the fact, he would be able to say very, very loudly and clearly he is totally against all this white supremacy activity. You know, the Proud Boys stand back and stand by all of the fallout from the debate. I mean, how many times can he take the stage and say, you know, I, I totally denounce white supremacy. I totally denounce what happened in Charlottesville. The problem, as you point out, though, is we get distracted. You know, the debate stage on Tuesday night was a huge disaster. I mean, people have called it everything from a train wreck to, to worse. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily anybody's fault. What I would say and what you would probably agree about with all our trial lawyer experience is the stakes were so high that. I guess both sides lost their cool a little bit. Chris Wallace would probably say he did as well. Sometimes that happens. It's that psychological curve where a little bit of anxiety is good, too much anxiety is not. You got to find that sweet spot. And it sort of devolved right from the beginning. Now, whether or not that was due to the president feeling under the weather, that's actually um, still up in the air. But I have one thing to say about the next debate. He will be recovered and ready to go and then watch out. Right. But I got to finish this thought regarding this group. So he had a press conference a couple days after that uh, riot where this one woman, this poor lady, Heather Heyer, was run over by a neo-Nazi. And that really happened. So they had this big conference, uh, press conference in Trump Tower. And he denounced the neo-Nazis. He denounced the KKK and all those people. But what they didn't report there was a second rally of good people that had driven all night from all across the country that wanted to preserve that statue in the name of that park just for historical reasons. They were peaceful, and there were people on the other side that wanted to take remove the statue and so forth, and they were peaceful as well. And that's what President Trump was referring to. So he was referring as very fine people, that second rally where they were totally peaceful, people that had different points of view, but it was peaceful. Just think of this. President Trump would never do that. In fact, a neo-Nazi, are you kidding? His daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren are Jewish. Come on. So he wouldn't do that. And do you think that in your wildest imagination that he would ever call uh, Antifa, who was at that rally fighting up against the white supremacists, would he ever call them very fine people? So this whole thing, this whole thing that's been spread by ABC, NBC, NPR, uh, CNN is a lie and they should be shameful. So the, the real uh, di- dilemma here is we have media that unfortunately in many cases is biased. Well, that's a point that I think we could make, uh, and you, I think you've made it. Uh, but I think the more relevant point for the, for the American people is who they're going to elect in November. So along those lines, what we have, basically, they can do their research and do the journalism and look at both sides of everything. We've got a vice presidential debate coming up this week. And I don't know about uh, you, but I am hopeful that it turns out a whole lot better than last week. And I think it will, because you have two trained orators Um, who do not have COVID, who probably won't be under the weather, who will be ready to go, and who probably won't let it devolve the way it did last Tuesday. And that's fairly significant, particularly because of the roles that they both hold in the campaign, which is really front and center. So we're going to continue to talk about some of this um, after the break. We hope you stay with us. You are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy, and I have to tell you, we have so much each show. It's hard to really try to figure out what we're going to fit in. Um, But we hope you'll stay with us after the break. We have a very special guest you won't want to miss. So you are listening to news you can use, headlines with a silver lining. 
Stay with us. We will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. So a lot to talk about tonight. We have mentioned the fact that the first family, at least the president and the first lady, are recovering from COVID. We wish them well. They're in our hearts and our prayers. But it does beg the question of whether or not we're going to continue to go forward with the debate schedule. Now, we know that the president can campaign from home. He can make headlines from the White House. We know all of that. And we we expect that he will. But it makes us wonder whether or not the next debate is going to be any different. Now, it is true that lots of viewers are voters. So this is pretty important. Now, when we were gearing up and predicting what we were going to see this week in the first debate, we didn't know whether we were going to see a cage fight or a chess match. And it appeared to be more of the former than the latter. However, One of the things the president did mention in passing, many people think he should have spent more time on it, was it shouldn't be about rhetoric, but record. Remember what he said, I've done more in 47 months than you've done in 47 years. But that was about where he left it. He also did make a couple of very good points about law and order, about jobs. In in other words, pointing out that should Joe Biden win the presidency, the country might be shut down again at such a critical time when people are just now going back into the workforce. So the kitchen table issues that the president actually did manage to talk about just a little bit really do set the stage for what would be a wonderful second debate if, in fact, it could be less rancorous and more substantive. So the economy, the law and order, you know, both men in some level are experienced debaters. Their training wheels are off, so we don't expect to see a train wreck. We didn't expect to see one on Tuesday. We certainly don't want to see that in the second debate. They both know better than that. Um, One of the things I say to my witnesses in court, and I'm sure the advisors on both sides are saying to the president and to Joe Biden, is listen to the question, answer the question, don't get distracted. Pick your battles. Um, One of the the criticisms that the president is facing is that really it should have been a layup, but he fouled out of the game. There was too much offense and there was too much defense, perhaps, on the part of Joe Biden. So maybe both of them just need to rethink their strategy. But, you know, it was more than policy over personality. It really also had to do with the topics in some sense, didn't it? Sure did, Wendy. Uh, During the presidential debate, Chris Wallace, he brought up uh, the topic of critical race theory. Now, uh, he basically asked the president, uh, you know, what do you think about this critical race theory that's it's being taught now in the schools? It's being taught in corporations and even in the military. And the president has issued an executive order that basically in any government, federal government agency and in the military, uh, that they will not be teaching that. So wh- why not? And then Chris Wallace says, well, well, aren't you uh, in favor of racial sensitivity training? 
Well, I'm sure he is, but people need to understand what critical race theory is. Critical race theory came from Karl Marx, the founder of communism. Now, that should raise some red flags, right? And uh, it's the view that law and legal institutions are inherently racist and that race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, it's a socially constructed concept that needs, uh, and basically, if you're what they really believe, and this is so radical, if, if you're born white, you are naturally a racist. I'm sorry to say you can look this up for yourself, folks. So no matter what we do, we can never be good enough. And I want you to hear this tweet, and this is verbatim. It's a tweet from uh, uh, th- that we pulled off the Internet, and her, her name is, is Ashley. Uh, Ashley, uh, and she said, and she's, uh, she was teaching a class at, apparently in a corporation, and here's what she said. She said, all white people are racist, so I put this up, uh, basically she put up a chart that says all white people are racist, and I really want any white person in the room to know up front that this is what we're dealing with, that it's not going to be the coddling of white tears, and what that looks like. We're not going to discuss, okay, maybe uh, some of us will work it out. No, you're always going to be a racist, actually. So even when you're uh, you're on the path to try to figure out how to be a better human being, because I believe that white people are born not human beings. That's what she actually said. And to, I, to see this on Twitter, this lady talking in front of the classroom, and these people were just sitting there taking it. Now, I'm totally... Don't I'm not I don't I believe all races are, are were made by God in the we're the human God. race we're the, we're human, the human race, race. Larry absolutely and I think a lot of our listeners I think a lot of people that are going to be voting believe that also and you know one of the challenges that both sides faced at the debate you know I I, we, I predicted the debate was going to be Joe Biden unmasked in many different ways and it really wasn't as much as I thought he actually stuck pretty close to what. Uh, we thought he was going to say, you know, it wasn't really anything new. In fact, he did what he promised he wouldn't do. He let himself be baited into a brawl and ended up actually resorting to name calling, called the president a clown, called him a couple other things, said, shut up, man, which, of course, now is a big meme. But it really is about kitchen table issues. And I know race is a real hot button issue, and most people would like to see the country united. Um, but the kitchen table issues that I think people hope to see in the second debate Obviously, violence and the virus, those are two biggies, but it's also about health and wealth. And we alluded earlier to the fact that the president wants to put people back to work. When people sit around the kitchen table at night, I understand they do talk about civil unrest and protests and riots and looting and what they see on the news, but they also care about their families. They care about sending their children to college. They care about maybe their own jobs, getting back into the workforce. They care about national security healthcare. Um, And along some of those lines, we actually have a guest that's going to join us to help a little bit figure figure out just a little bit of this as we go along. Somebody who's actually researched some of the issues, Larry, you were just talking about, um, because we really want to make it all in the balance. Yes, they care about the issues that, uh, that matter to them and their families, but it's also interesting that there is some research 
30 years worth, I understand, that your next guest has done. Who do we have on the line? Right, Wendy. Yeah, I'd like to introduce Trevor Loudon. Trevor uh, Loudon is an author, a filmmaker, a public speaker from New Zealand. And for 30 years, he's been researching the radical left Marxist terrorist movements and so forth. So welcome to the show, Trevor. Hi, thank you very much. Good to be on. Thank you. And Trevor, considering what's going on in the streets of American cities right now, such as Portland, Seattle, New York, and so forth, do you think these riots are just spontaneous outbursts of people concerned with the so-called social justice? Or do you think that we are witnessing the beginning of a Marxist revolution? Well, the latter. The the main perpetrators of these riots are two pro-Chinese communist parties, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization and Liberation Road, which is the parent body of Black Lives Matter. So what we're seeing here is a Chinese-instigated insurrection in our cities. It's, it's uh, targeted for election year because the Chinese want to destroy President Trump and they want to bring the country into revolution and civil war. This is really a Chinese war in America. Wow. Now, you, you kind of well, been... I'll tell you what, you know, part of part of the pushback, I think that a lot of people would would give and do give. And I know you probably read and hear and are asked these questions all the time. Um, you've actually researched this for 30 years. And, you know, why is it important, regardless of what side somebody comes down on with respect to some of these issues and who started it and who funds it and the rest of it? Why would you say to our listeners that research is so important in kind of doing this analysis and coming up with conclusions? Well, because if you don't know their players, you don't know their funding streams, you don't know their allegiances, you'll believe their narratives. This narrative that the whole, the rioting started because of George Floyd, for instance, is a complete lie. You know, the, the, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization has been planning these riots since the day President Trump got inaugurated. I have them on tape claiming credit for them. I have them... Um, talking about the joy they felt when the precinct, when the third precinct was burned in Minneapolis, mm. that the, the looting and the arson was an integral part of the movement and that their mission was to make this country ungovernable to bring down President Trump. So I've got the evidence, I've got it on tape, I've got the documentary stuff to back it, and most Americans are being told complete lies over, over this 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 insurrection and they need to understand this is not going to stop with the election this is going going to go on until either the perpetrators are arrested or this country is in complete chaos right uh, trevor it's interesting to me why is this mainly happening in democratically controlled cities and states are they kind of like one and the same have the democrat has the democrat party been infiltrated so to speak by these radical leftists well, definitely. Um, you know, the, the communist Chinese want to bring down President Trump because he's, he's given them huge grief. The Democrats want to bring down President Trump because they hate him. You know, Tucker Carlson had a CIA officer, Brian Dean Wright, on a show recently, a Democrat. And he said, look, the Democratic Party is following the Chinese line, you know, with the, with the COVID shutdowns, all this kind of thing. So, Yes, they are working in collusion together. The longer they can keep the state shut down, the more they can support the protesters, the more chaos they can instigate. 
the more likely they can steal the election or or, or make President Trump lose. This is Trevor. Let me ask you something in about. Year. Let me ask you something in uh, in about twenty seconds if you can sum this up. You know, Larry and I are both Christians, and there's a great scene in Acts in that in the in the New Testament where it it describes a riot where people don't even know why they're rioting. They don't even know what the purpose is, what the cause is, why they're angry. Is there some of that going on this year, do you think? Look, look most 90% of the people out there marching have no idea of what they're doing. But the people who are leading this, this are working for communist China, for Venezuela, for Iran and other foreign countries. This is a mass manipulation process. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that analysis. And, you know, um, before we wrap it up, I'd like to ask, how can people find out more about your work or purchase your books, DVDs? Where do they go? Just go to trevorloudon.com. So Loudon is L-O-U-D-O-N, trevorloudon.com. I've got all, you can see my videos there. You can see the, the documentary evidence. I've written three books, made several long documentaries. And, you know, I'm very aware you don't make accusations like this lightly. So I can back yeah. up everything I'm saying. So please, people understand the riots. Fact the, checking the is important. The streets, that, that is China. China That's is right. doing this to America. Well, the, the beautiful thing is that people can fact check all of that. And I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, it's a disservice to those who want to peacefully protest legitimate claims and legitimate grievances that many of us share. So we only hope that the peaceful protests can continue and that we protect their right, their First Amendment right to do exactly that. And we prevent the crime and the looting and the rioting by, as you point out, many people that aren't 100% sure why they're even there and maybe don't even recognize the extent of the destruction that they leave in their wake. But we're going to leave that for another week because sadly, I think we'll probably be talking it again. But let's end on a high note, silver lining. Wishing the first family a speedy recovery. You're on today with Dr. Wendy. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Today with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego.